0: You're listening to the Seabreeze Church Podcast. In this message series, we're looking at how it is that people tick on the inside. The assumption in the title of this series is just like with the face of a watch, there is something ticking behind our face. There's something driving everything that we do, and it's coming from inside of us. And that's why we talk about wanting to find out what it is that makes a person Tick. Now someone made the watch which of course is why it ticks on the inside and someone made us which is why we tick on the inside. God is the one who made us and he points to our heart as the why behind everything that we do. Not the organ in pumping blood in our chest but the thinking, feeling, deciding core of who we are. That's our heart. Last week if you were with us we Looked at the three major elements the Bible identifies that reside inside of the heart, what really is ticking there that drives everything we do. We have desires, that's the first thing we looked at, that, that kind of initiate our behavior, our action. Those desires are both good and bad, positive and negative. And those desires are filtered through two things. They're filtered in part through our perspective, which is how we think life works, and then secondly, through our values, which is what we think is most important. So given our desires, how we think we can get those, and what we think is most important in order, then comes our behavior. Now this invisible, silent ticking goes on day after day, and decision after decision. And before long, we develop patterns of behavior, patterns of thinking, patterns of feeling, and patterns of acting. And these patterns in the Bible are known as our ways. The, the way that we do life, the routines, the, the ruts that we find ourselves in. And the Bible identifies these patterns as tending to be foolish, which means we factor God out of our decision-making. We don't consider His perspective on life when we make decisions. We just consider ours. We don't consider what He says is valuable. We just consider what we think is valuable. And as a result, our behaviors and therefore our patterns tend to be foolish because we've factored God out of the decision-making process. And the result of these foolish ways is emptiness on the inside. And there's only one solution to that emptiness. It's described for us in 1 Peter 1, verses 18 through 19. It says, for you know that it was not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, that you were redeemed from the, and here it is, empty way of life handed down to you from your forefathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. So God gave us the gift of Jesus Christ to remedy our broken and foolish ways. He didn't give us a gift that could be measured monetarily, it could be measured in silver and gold, something much more valuable. He gave us Jesus Christ and his blood shed on the cross for us. And the reason he gave us this gift is because this is the only way that we can have a chance to receive what it is that we really want in life, the satisfaction that we really long for. Jesus Christ is the only one that can train us and pull us out of our old ways of life and bring us into new patterns. Every once in a while, I still crave a Big Mac. Every once in a long while... My craving will lead to behavior, and I'll eat a Big Mac. And um, I always regret it every time I do it, usually about 15 minutes after. I start regretting it because it makes me feel awful on the inside. Maybe you can eat them, and they're fine for you, but for me, it just it doesn't work. Now, my appetite was right about me being hungry. My stomach was growling in some cases. I was hungry on the inside, but my appetite was wrong about what it is that would satisfy me in that moment. Now, why would my appetite lie to me and tell me that what I really wanted was a Big Mac when that's really not what I wanted? Well, the reason is because I have a long history with Big Macs. You see, (laughs) growing up, McDonald's was the event of the month in my family. And so I have a fond place in my heart for McDonald's, and in particular for Big Macs and those fries. And because I have a history of eating that food, I have a memory and therefore a pattern, a way of eating. Now, since then, I've learned to eat better and more satisfying food that actually uh, meets some more needs than a Big Mac does. But my memory of Big Macs is still pretty strong. And I tell you this because our stomachs are not the only part of us that have an appetite. Our souls also have an appetite as well. And we long for things on the inside, not physical things. We long for satisfaction. We're right about us being hungry on the inside. We are empty on the inside. And the reason is that sin has itself separated us from God. He is the ultimate source of what we really long for on the inside. But because of our sin, there's there's a distance between us. And so our soul gives us replacement ideas of what would satisfy. We have hunger for things that we think might satisfy us. But they just don't, because only God can satisfy. We come from a long history of eating spiritual Big Macs. Our parents did it. Their parents did it. Everyone we know does it. So we do it. You see, we didn't just show up on this planet. This verse says, we've been handed these ways from our forefathers. We didn't just appear. We were born into families, and into cultures that all have a history to them, a a set of ways of doing life that we learn in our environments as we grow up. Now, some of this history is good and helpful and profitable, and some is bad. But common to every stream of history on this earth is a way of doing life that turns out to leave us feeling empty on the inside. We have been handed from our forefathers empty ways of doing life. Every forefather, every culture, every family hands these down. Now, maybe you grew up eating spiritual filet of fish rather than Big Mac, but it still leaves you empty on the inside. Now, the menu of the empty ways of life that we tend to pick are based on five ingredients. There's five basic ways we all kind of mix and match some of these and come up with some of our unique twists, but there's five core ingredients, five foolish ways in the Bible. And all five of these come from uh, a different Hebrew word in the Old Testament for fool. In English, we only have one word, fool. But in Hebrew, there was much more variety, which is why God chose the Hebrew language to reveal the truth about this. And we're going to look at five hebrew words that are translated english as fool but they describe a different kind of foolie, a different kind of way to factor god out and therefore come up with an empty way of life now we tend to have a favorite one and as we go through these i'd like you to think about what might be your favorite one like i said we mix and match but we tend to lean on one as kind of our go-to way and as we go through these you might be tempted to think about somebody else you might be tempted if they're in this room to look their direction. (laughs) That would not be helpful. Do your very best to focus on yourself, to think about what your way might be. So let's begin. The first way we'll call the easy way. This comes from the Hebrew word kaseel. You see the word up here? Kaseel. This Hebrew word for fool means to be swollen with false hope. They just keep Welling up with the false hope of something that's going to make life better and make life easier. And the reason they love hope is because hope just appears. You don't have to work for it, it just kind of shows up, and then everything works out. That's much easier. What this person really wants most in life is comfort, ease. Now, there's nothing wrong with comfort. We all like comfort, comfort is good. But what makes this, as well as the other four foolish ways, empty is that we tend to put something other than God at the center of our life and then organize everything around that rather than God. So for the easy way fool, they just don't want some comfort. They actually organize their life around what is easier and what is more comfortable. It becomes the gravitational force around which they make their decisions. And that leaves them empty on the inside. The reason is that comfort is not the point of life. God is the point of life, and what He wants is the point of life. So someone with a, an easy way approach to life is usually fixated on the next product or the next plan that they, and here's the key, hope will make life better, will pull everything together for them. Their thought is, if I could just get that, I would be satisfied. Now. Comfort requires products in order to support it. If your home is comfortable, it's because there's stuff in it. If your home is empty, it's not a comfortable home. You've got to have stuff in there to be comfortable. So you probably have a comfortable bed and comfortable furniture. You probably have some entertainment products that help you relax and comfort. How did you get those products? Well, you bought them. How did you get the money to buy them? Well, you probably had to work for that money. So in the real world, comfort is the byproduct of work. But the easy way fool doesn't want to put in the work. They want to bypass the work and go straight to the comfort. So they're always looking for, we'll call it the magic key. That is a plan, a scheme that promises quick and easy results. The result of that is so then they don't have to work very hard. They're looking for the shortcut to comfort. If you talk to them... They've always got an idea. They've always got a thought, something in the future, something that they've heard, someone they've talked to, something they read online. If they could just get this, if they could just find that, if they could just do this, everything's going to suddenly work out. It's just magic, the magic key. Proverbs 17, 24 uses this word for fool. It says this, A discerning person keeps wisdom in view, but a fool's eyes, a Casile's eyes, wander to the ends of the earth. They're always out there looking for something that's going to make life better. They are full of false hope, and they keep their eyes scanning for what they want. Their thought is, I don't need to build a life. I need to find one. It's somewhere. I just need to kick over the right rock, and it'll be there. Magic. It'll come together. And this means that easy way fools are easily fooled by appearances and promises. Scammers love easy way fools because easy way fools are so full of hope, they'll believe almost anything that is promised to make life better for them. They just want it to get easy. They have false hope, it says, not discernment. The wise in this verse says they they keep discernment in view. As they look, they they, they discern. Just because things appear this way doesn't mean it's going to be this way. They're, they're wise as they make the decisions. But a fool, the idea is they'll believe almost anything if it's promising to make their life easier. Now, how far will the hope, hope go? It says to the ends of the earth. They keep hoping and hoping and hoping because it's easier. What's amazing sometimes is someone whose life is completely falling apart, they still they think that just this one thing. If I, if I could just get this, it'll all come together because it's easier. So, when an easy way decides to date the opposite sex, they are not so much concerned about working hard to become the right kind of person, marriage material, they're just looking for the right one. There's someone out there that's just going to put their life together, like magic. When an easy way looks for a job, which they don't all look for work, but when they do look for a job, they look for the perfect job. And by perfect, they mean the one that leaves them every single day feeling just ecstatic on the inside with purpose and it's not a lot of strain to it and it pays tremendously well. (laughs) And they keep looking for this job because they've heard of those kinds of jobs out there, they just can't find it. Now, if an easy way does get a job, they usually don't keep it for very long because, well... It doesn't take long for them to not like the work, to find some problem with the work or some some reason why they can't do the work. And they definitely don't like bosses. Because what do bosses do? Bosses, they demand people work for pay. So all the bosses they work for are jerks. And the career grass is always greener somewhere else. For them, for the easy way, life is kind of more like fast food than farming. You know, you just order what you want, and it's delivered to you. Rather than farming where you have to plow the ground and plant the seed and water the seed and weed the seed and then tend to the plant and then harvest the plant, that's a lot of work. They have grown up in a fast food culture, and they think life is kind of like that. Now, our consumer culture is cranking out a lot of these people right now, and the pandemic has not helped. If you grow up watching the media, growing up in homes that pay you to do nothing at all, you will believe that real life is easy. It's kind of like a movie or a game. It just happens. It's easy. That's the easy way, fool. The second way is the my way, fool. The my way. The Hebrew word for this is a veal. And the word means stubborn opposition. These people insist that life go their way. What this person wants most in life is is control, not comfort, but control. Their thought commonly is, if everyone would just cooperate with me, I'd be satisfied. That's all I want is people just to cooperate. So the easy way fool has decided that satisfaction is found. There's something out there that will pull life together. The my way fool has decided not that satisfaction is found, but satisfaction is forced. What they will often think is, I just need these people to do what I want them to do. They won't say it that way, because that sounds selfish and controlling. What they will say is, I just need people to do the right thing. The right thing, of course, is what they think. For them, there's only two kinds of people, the people that agree with them and everyone else that's wrong. So if people would just wake up, do the right thing, life would work. And I've got to try to figure out how to get them, for their own good, of course, to do the right thing. Now, why would someone choose this strategy? It's a lot of work to be a My Way Fool. Why would someone choose this? Well, it's because, most likely, they've learned early on in life that people hurt you. People are not safe. And so... Kind of like animals in a zoo, people are best kept in cages. Now, of course, it's illegal to put people in actual cages. It's not right to put people in cages, not physical cages, so they work to put people in cages of control. They construct the bars, not out of steel, but out of control. There's many different materials to use to construct the bars of the cage, many different methods of control. A lot of times... uh, a My Way will rescue someone or continue to rescue people that are in deep need. Because once they rescue someone, that person owes them a debt, and they expect to collect on that debt and getting them to do what they want them to do. Sometimes they'll withhold something that an individual needs and exchange it for their behavior, for them doing what they want them to do. They'll control them that way by withholding what somebody really needs. Sometimes they'll use their emotions to control. I mean, in real common ways they'll just they'll get angry, they're always upset, and they'll get people to conform because you know rather than dealing with another argument, I'll just do what you want. Sometimes they they fall apart and they cry and they become victims so that people will run to them and do what they want them to do. There's all different kinds of tools, very subtle and sophisticated ways of getting people to dance to their tune and do what they want them to do. Proverbs 27.3 describes this particular choice in life. It says, Stone is heavy and sand a burden, but provocation by a fool, this kind of fool, a my way and a veal, is heavier than both stone and sand. What is this saying? Well, have you carried a heavy stone or a big bag of sand? What's on your mind when you carry a heavy stone and a big bag of sand? How long do I have to carry this? When can I set this down? This is heavy. Those who relate to a My Way fool are thinking the same thing all the time. How can I get out of this? This is, ugh, this is heavy. i got to get out of here. This is driving me crazy. The reason is because the person who's being controlled has this sense all the time of being in trouble. They're just always in trouble. The person is just always upset. They're never satisfied. There's always something else that they didn't do or they should do. And that's just like, here, would you take an 80-pound bag of sand and carry it for your whole life? They will not stay in a relationship with a my way fool unless they have to. These individuals, the my ways, they usually end up being pretty alone in life, particularly later in life. Because near the end of their life, they have very little left to offer. And so there's not many people that will put up with the 80-pound bag of sand to get something they want because it's just not worth it. These people end up having very few meaningful relationships because they only had people they managed, not people that they actually loved and served. And these people tend to sit alone in the last decades of their life, wondering why nobody calls and nobody comes to visit. Because everyone is just grateful to be out, to have set down in the bag of sand. And they feel empty at the end of their life. Now, these first two, the easy way and the my way, appear to be the most popular. So, a good percentage of people have chosen one of these is their dominant way in life. Now, we grow and mature, and some are more or less of these, but these tend to be the most popular. And so, one of the most common marriages is when an easy way marries a my way. Easy ways tend to not marry each other because there's not enough initiative between them to even date. (laughs) And my ways tend to not marry as often. They do, but they tend to marry not as often because they fight like cats and dogs all the time. And so if they do date, it's not very long before they realize, we don't want to turn this into a marriage. So it's most common for an easy way to marry a my way. Now the reason an easy way is drawn to a my way is because a my way is usually a very high capacity person. You don't choose to be a my way unless You've got a pretty good mind. You really can organize stuff, and you can get people moving. You really know what you're doing. They get a lot done, my ways do. And that works perfectly for an easy way because it leaves them with what? Less to do. Life is easier from a work standpoint. Not an emotional standpoint, but from a work standpoint, life is easier when you've got a my way running the show. So the question is, why would a my way marry an easy way? Well, because they're easier to control. You know, an easy way doesn't really want to work much anyways. So they respond to the demands of a controlling my way, usually with the response, you know what, whatever, knowing that they're going to do most of the work anyways. Yeah, whatever you want. I don't care. Do whatever you want, which to a my way's way of thinking is perfect. But the problem with this pattern is that over time, resentment builds between the two of them. Easy way over time resents being controlled because they are a person with a thought. And they resent being controlled. And the my way resents doing most of the work. They both resent each other and feel completely justified. And the marriage really struggles and may just blow apart because of the resentment. So that's the first two. The easy way, the my way. Now number three, the fun way. The Hebrew word for this is sakal. It's actually, if you could see it in the way Hebrew is written, it's a transposition of the first word kasil. And so like the first word kasil, it means to swell, but rather than with the easy way, it doesn't swell with false hope. This fool swells with impulse. In other words, this person just wants to feel good. Their thought is, if they could meet the needs of their impulses, life would be good. They could just feel good enough, often enough, they'd be satisfied. So they are on a never-ending search for the next feel-good experience, the fun way. Ecclesiastes 10.3 describes this person this way, even as fools, sackles, walk along the road, they lack sense and show everyone how stupid they are. What does that mean? What this is saying is you can spot a fun way by watching the path they take in life. It zigzags all over the place. They cannot stay on course because they're constantly seeing something that, ooh, that looks fun. Ooh, what if I, what if I had that experience? It's kind of like watching a dog walk off of a leash. Dogs will never walk in a straight line because they're not trying to get somewhere. They're just following their instincts. It's, Ooh, oh, oh and headed this way. And that's, that's, that's the way, that's what it's saying. This is the way this person looks. They're just following their instincts. But you see, unlike animals, we have been made in the image of God, which means we have more than just instincts. We do have impulses. We do have desires. But we have the kinds of minds, the kinds of hearts, that can think our way forward and set aside those impulses. For greater purposes, and this allows us to accomplish great things. Allows us to set a goal and stay on course. So, stupid is not a put-down word in this verse. It's simply an observation. What th- what this literally is saying is, these people aren't using their God-given brains. They're lowering themselves just to instinct. They're just one impulse after another. So, the fun way person decides to live for their emotions. And that becomes the point of life for them, not God. That's the point. This leaves a person empty on the inside because they were created to be so much more than animals sniffing the air looking for the next impulse to send them off. Now, this is the approach to life that often leads to addictions. Because whatever you do for fun never feels good enough, long enough, to replace your need for God. So it must be repeated, and it must be repeated with greater intensity. And fun, of course, is a poor substitute for God at the center of your life. And so what fun lacks in quanti- quality, it tries to make up for in quantity. And people find themselves trapped in addictions out of this pattern. And that brings us to the fourth one. The fourth one is the glory way. The Hebrew word for this is halal. The word literally means to shine or be glorious. This is the root of the word hallelujah, halal. And what it means is praise be to God. So what this person does is they switch praise be to God to praise be to me. Look at me. What this person wants most in life is approval. They want to be on some kind of stage, with some kind of audience applauding, whether not necessarily actually, but metaphorically. If they could just get enough people to clap for them, be approval of them, approve them, then they would be satisfied. Solomon was the richest man of his day, king of Israel, and he gives a very interesting view from the top of the fame pile. He was the most famous person of his day dignitaries gathered from around the world just to see his kingdom and his wealth and learn from his wisdom. If he had a Twitter account, he would have been number one. He was most famous. And he says this in Ecclesiastes 2 verse 12, I decided to think about wisdom, and then he thought about the counterpart. I also thought about foolish, halal kind. That's the word here, halal pleasure. And he says, what more can a new king do? Can he do anything more than others have already done? So he thought about halal pleasure. What he's admitting is it really does feel good to be popular. It's pleasurable to have people clapping and approving and liking you. It's good to have people praise you. That's pleasurable. But then the next thing he says is interesting. He says, what more can a new king do? Why is he thinking about a new king? It's because his time as king is coming to an end. He's getting older. And what he realizes is that I'm just one in a long line of kings on this earth. Someone else is going to follow me as king, and they will get all the applause. I'll be swept off the stage because I'll be dead. Someone else will get the lights. So his real question is, so what's the point of fame then? What does fame accomplish? He said, I I did some stuff, and people clapped. I built some stuff, and people were amazed. But he said, you know what? Other people are going to do stuff, and people are going to clap at them. I amassed a fortune. Other people are going to amass a fortune, and everyone's going to be amazed at them just like they're amazed at me. His real question is, is there anything that I've done that will matter for eternity? And what he's pointing to is it's only the approval of God that really matters in the end. Not how famous, not how popular you are. And this brings us to the last way, the last kind of fool, and that is the harmful way. The Hebrew word for this translated into English as fool is nabal. This word literally means to empty, to drain of life. This person manages their emptiness by causing it in others. The motto, Misery Loves Company, is true of these people. These people are miserable on the inside. And their goal is to take as many people down with them as they can. Psalm 14.1 describes this kind of fool. It says, the fool, this is Nabal in Hebrew, says in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt. Their deeds are vile. None of these people do good. This is the darkest of the fool's. Because for them, God doesn't exist. They may say he exists, but practically, he doesn't in their hearts. So they think they can do whatever they can get away with. Because there's no God to stop them. There's no consequences. Over time, their consciences become seared. These are truly dangerous people. These people, most of them become criminals over time. They may start their life of crime early, but the most dangerous of the Nabals work over time to establish trust among their victims. And only much later is the large wake of their victims discovered. We see this happen in the news. All of a sudden, boom, hundreds of people that have been just ripped apart by this individual that everyone respected. It's because of Nabal's that we need the police and we need a strong military. That's because Nabal's respect only one thing, force. Why? There is no God in their hearts. What this means is they will never truly submit to any authority if they don't have to. What they can and can't do is all that matters to them. Because there is no what they should or shouldn't do. There's just no moral compass in these folks eventually over time. Now, our culture, everyone knows this, is rapidly moving towards secularism. And what that means is for more and more people, there is no God. This is and will give rise to the number of Nabals walking our streets. Now, let me be clear. Not everyone who ignores God becomes a Nabal. But Nabals are most dangerous when no one thinks they exist. And you look throughout history, the darkest moments in history where the largest number of people have been murdered have come out of cultures that have decided there is no God. You can do the history for yourself. You see, because if there is no God then there's no Nabals to worry about. There's no truly evil people. And that's because if there is no God, there can be no evil because evil by definition is what is opposed to God. So that makes everyone basically a good person that's maybe just in a bad environment. And so as a result of that, it becomes open hunting season for the Nabals among us. It's been big news the last couple of weeks, but the murder rate was up a record 29% last year. The previous record in our nation, since records were kept on this, was 12.9% increase. That was in 1968. This is a massive increase in the murder rate. It really didn't take very long for us to see what a dangerous idea it is to dismantle the police. Reform, yes. No one's talking about dismantling the police anymore. You see, good and evil do not exist in a vacuum. They come from a source. It's interesting to me how some of the names, good and evil, are to their sources. Good comes from God. You just slash an O and you get to God. Evil is driven by the devil, the source of Nabal. When a culture decides there is no God, evil grows and people have no real reason to do good over the long haul. So which of these five ways is your preferred approach to life? Again, we're a mixture. We've got some of this in all of us. But again, we prefer Big Macs, filet of fish Quarter Pounders. We, we have a preference. So are you an easy way? Is comfort what you want most? I mean, maybe not now, but maybe you're working your whole life for the promise of easy way in retirement. How about my way? Is control the thing that you keep angling for in your life and in your relationships? Are you constantly angry with everyone because they're just not getting it? How about fun way? Are you living for your emotions, your impulses? What about glory way? Is the approval of others the most important thing to you? Now, we all like approval, but is this at the center that's driving your decisions? How about for the, the harmful way? Are you masking your pain by causing pain in the lives of others? For me personally, moment of honesty, my preference is my way. I've got a sprinkling of an easy way and glory way in there, but I like to get my way. Now, for those of you in growth groups this week, this is one of the things you'll be discussing. So, if you're not sure which one you might prefer, ask God for insight. Maybe ask a friend. If you're really, really brave and you're married, ask your spouse. (laughs) They know. They see you better than you do. But the good news is we've been given a gift to counter this. Only a relationship with Jesus Christ can begin to turn us away from these empty ways of living. So again, as it says in First Peter 1, 18 through19, "For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver and gold, that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed to you, handed down to you from your forefathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. Let's pray. Father, I continue to be amazed at how accurate your word is to describe the world we live in and our own hearts. I thank you for the clarity of these ways, and I pray that as we consider our own ways, ways that we've tried to construct a life and put something in the center other than you, I pray that you would give us clarity on on what our way is. And then beyond that, most importantly, you'd help us to begin to build new ways to redeem us out of those. For those here today who have yet to receive the great gift, the precious and priceless gift of Christ, I pray that they would decide to do that so you can begin to redeem them from their empty ways, just like you've begun to do that for us. We thank you again for your love for us in spite of our ways. And we pray for protection as we move forward in a a time where increasingly there is no God. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Seabreeze Church podcast. For more information about our church, you can visit our website, seabreezechurch.com. Thanks again for listening in, and we hope you'll join us next week for the Seabreeze Church podcast.